Howdy folks, welcome to Fanbyte News, the weekly show covering the biggest stories in games and entertainment. I am your host, head of Fanbyte Media, John Warren. I hope you're having a safe and happy December so far. This week, I have a jam-packed, super-sized show for you. Later, we have a great interview with Kotaku senior reporter Nathan Grayson, where we tackle Twitch and DMCA takedowns, as well as our alma mater, a tiny Texas school right at the border of Oklahoma. But first, our top story. What else could possibly be the biggest news of the week other than the massive, multifaceted rollout of one of 2020's mega-hyped game releases, CD Projekt Red's Cyberpunk 2077? Two stories stand out to me, beginning with Game Informer's Leona Ruppert's reporting on a series of sequences of the game designed in such a way that could induce a seizure in people with epilepsy. Ruppert notes that a common trigger for seizures for epileptics are rapid blinking white and red lights, and with the combination of the neon-soaked locales of Night City and the artifacting frequently shown in the game, she knew it would be likely an issue for many going into the game. However, the issues turned out to be far worse than expected with the touted brain dance mechanic CDPR has featured in its marketing for months. This element of gameplay puts the main character V into an interface that allows the player to experience the moments and memories of another character. Kind of like squid tapes in the film Strange Days. If you've seen that, you should see it. It's a good movie. Uh, the way to get into Brain Dance is through the use of a helmet with a screen attached that displays red and white blinking LEDs to send V into a certain state. This mechanism is how doctors often in real life trigger seizures to diagnose patients with epilepsy. At the time of Ruppert's report, a pregame epilepsy warning screen did not appear before loading the game itself. These screens are common, especially in games with screen artifacting and blinking, uh, and they have appeared in games like this year's Assassin's Creed Valhalla. The end-user licensing agreement, or EULA, did and does contain a seizure warning, but the EULA did not boot at regular startup of the game. CD Projekt Red did address the situation on Twitter, pointing folks to the EULA and saying, saying that they will Will add a separate warning at a, a later time. By the time you're hearing this, uh, by the way, uh, that warning now appears when you boot the game. As for the more permanent solution to fix a major accessibility issue like this, CDPR is working on it and will implement it as soon as possible. Um, this issue should not have made it to this point just so that's clear. Certification processes in QA should have caught an issue this glaring. In fact, these issues are often avoided altogether by progressive accessibility and sensitivity testing early and often in the development process. This game has been in development for almost a decade, and in CDPR's case, these resources are certainly available to them. Hopefully the fix is implemented before the game rolls out to many users on Thursday, but that fix, as of Wednesday evening, is not live. Also odd, but far from the most important issue, has been the rollout of the game to the press and other media outlets. Some outlets have had this game for weeks, which is pretty normal for this business, but the limitations on what those outlets could discuss and show at the time of review are just the latest in a string of unreasonably restrictive embargoes thrust upon games media over the past few years. Many outlets who were told they would be getting the game early this week in time for reasonable coverage ahead of the embargo simply never received the game until it was far too late to cover it meaningfully. Again, this isn't in and of itself that strange for Fanbyte, uh, the bad boys of games, I guess, uh, but this rollout does seem especially strange. A hefty day one patch to deal with major technical bugs could be the reason for the call to audibles. Our own Steven Strom was nice enough to give me their take, having played several hours of the game. Quote, Rumors of the game's pre-release clunkiness were not greatly exaggerated. This is one of the moment-to-moment -moment buggiest AAA games I have ever played. Otherwise, it's a lot like those IDOS Montreal Deus Ex games, which, hey, we haven't had in a while. Only the UI and action are super clunky, which I'm not sure will be easily fixed in the day one patch I'm downloading right now. Unlike many other studios, CDPR didn't provide notes on what the patch will fix, end quote. Uh, regardless, the jarring rollout has added a wrinkle to the cacophonous hype we'll be discussing in media circles for years to come. Fan Width, the Fanbyte podcast, covered some of the Cyberpunk 2077 release week stories, and our own Khalif Adams covered another round of online harassment aimed at prominent women in the industry on last week's episode of Spawn on Me. 
I am not going to give any air to the scum bucket that continues to weaponize his followers that is in the news this week and last week. I'm just going to keep supporting the great folks in this industry, and you should do that too. That guy is not in that group. Well, folks, as the year begins to wrap up, I like to reflect on the stories that kind of shaped our year and will probably shape the years to come in the games industry. And I'm uh, I'm talking to folks that really have their finger on the pulse of these stories. Uh, I am super excited to welcome to the show today, uh, senior reporter for Kotaku.com, Nathan Grayson. Hi, Nathan. Hey, how's it going? I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. I mean, you, know, <laughs> uh, you talk about the year wrapping up. What a what a decade of a year it's been. It's it's been. Uh, I can't. Uh, someday, will uh, th- this will be such a weird thing for all of us to look back on in twenty years? Um, I the the number of things that happened this year that legitimately I thought may uh, happened maybe two years ago. Yeah. Right. Um, is is insane yeah um, i remember it feels like, like it's final fantasy or final fantasy 7 remake and like yes <laughs> it feels like eons ago that's such wild. a specific one too because like it, it i guess that kind of hit right after the quarantine stuff really started yeah. to like take hold i think for most work workspaces we, we we started working at home in march which i was happy about but uh but that came out like early April, and it it feels like it happened two years ago. Yeah, me. I mean, so. even even Animal Crossing, which was like yes. a defining moment of the pandemic early on, feels like yeah. it happened during a different year. <laughs> it does. It does. That feels like the oldest game. Like we just put our goatees together, and there were so many games on there that it was just like, like we have a loosey goosey way of doing it, so we can put stuff on there that doesn't that that didn't come out this year. But so many things, I was like, oh, that didn't come out this year, but it it completely did so oh man that's actually uh, great because that means between that system and yeah. merits tastes seemingly that you can get warframe <laughs> on your game of the year list for 2020 and this is so something have, that i very much want to see happen <laughs> we had 11 lists uh this is this is poking behind the veil of something that won't even come to light for another two weeks because we 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 produce all of that stuff basically on the week off between christmas and and new year's but uh, but yeah, we had eleven lists. Warframe showed up on two of them, I think. Yes. So, so we've got some, we got some, we we got some interesting stuff. Fire Emblem Three Houses also showed up on two of them. That's not a game that came out this year at all. So, um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of our deal. Um, first of all, before we get into some of the 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 stuff that's happening this week, uh, <laughs> which we can talk about briefly, uh, and some of the bigger stuff that happened this year, uh, I want to point. Uh, point out that we have something very weird in common, um, which is that we both went to the same uh, very, very tiny school in uh, in Texas. Um, yeah, in Sherman, Texas, a, yeah. a city that probably nobody who's listening to this has ever heard of. No, and and I I have I we've talked about this I think very briefly in in kind of a casual setting and I, like it doesn't I, I don't I'm not I'm not a big school spirit person so it's just not something I talk about a lot anyway but I have to ask and I don't think I know the answer to this are you from Texas did mm-hmm. you grow up there yeah okay. yeah so I okay. was born in the Dallas area okay. and I lived there so we both came from DFW and then went up there yeah. Yeah, no, I was a, I was, I I remember I was very afraid of like being homesick when I was, you know, younger and first going off to college. I was like, well, I'll just go to a college nearby and then I can drive home whenever I want to. But yeah. Did you know anyone that wasn't from Texas that went to AC? I guess I knew a few. I want to say yes. Okay. Um, Because, but at the same time, I don't know. I don't, why did that happen? Why did anyone that wasn't from the DFW area go to Austin? I can answer this. The apparently surprisingly good pre-med program at it the is, liberal arts college. <laughs> yeah, it's a liberal arts college. I got a communications media degree after uh, being a psych major for three and a half years and having almost no credits of that, but having a ton of media credits. So my counselor was like, you should switch your major. But at that kind of like chuckle, chuckle f- school that like, you know, <laughs> that allowed me to do that. Um, yeah, it has a really good pre-med program. Oh, yeah, no. So. A, a thing that I don't usually tell people because it's just too complicated 
is that I'm I, I always tell people that I have that I'm an English major, which is mostly true. Um, <laughs> but the actual truth is that I made my own degree by cobbling yeah, you together do that by cobbling together credits from English and media because yeah. there wasn't a journalism track there. So I made right. my own journalism degree out of assembled courses that somewhat resembled what a journalist might need to know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I think that's great. I think that's amazing. Um, I I think that's so. I I honestly had forgotten that you could do that, and I had one of my best friends did that, and cobbled together the most like bad, <laughs> like <laughs> like it's like your it was like European medieval feminist literature or something Hell like yeah. that. That was just basically like several courses from different areas and and it actually worked out pretty well for her but uh uh yeah that was that was really wild that you could do that um go kangaroos yeah I go roos go i occasionally see people like in the alumni group on facebook post about like kangaroos and how much they like them and i'm like <laughs> on one hand i can get behind that but on the other hand does anyone authentically have school spirit surrounding the school that like you know, was kind of silly and also never, ever won a sport. Was was very bad at sports. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was covering football for the newspaper there at some point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we were we were not good at the sports. No, no, they could have put me out. They could have put me out there and probably <laughs> done better. So, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Austin college in Sherman, Texas. I, by the way, uh, now that I live in Arkansas and I sometimes will go to Dallas to, uh, uh, see my parents, um, who are very isolated. Uh, the, uh, yeah, I go right through there. I drove through there the other day and it's Nathan, would you believe it? Not much has changed. Wow, really? Um, yeah, but it was big news when the Cracker Barrel got there. But I'm I'm guessing that was there when you were um, there. Honestly, that's a good question. I want to say okay. no because I feel like if it was there, I would have gone as somebody who just yeah. enjoys like really, really over salted baked potatoes, like uh, over over salted food and like um. I don't know, you know, folks are listening to this that don't have a cracker barrel in their uh in their vicinity. Um I would describe it as like a racist sundries store connected to a restaurant. Yeah. Basically. But a restaurant you know, that kind has of like, like a, some amount of charm to it. And so yeah, you go there. It's like sure. a roadside stop type of situation. Yeah. 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 Um they just put put a lot of gravy on everything, which is like fine. Mm-hmm. Like that's 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 Listen, you got to chase your bliss. Anyway, <laughs> um, one thing that you can't do in a brand new video game that came out this week, Cyberpunk 2077, is smother <laughs> your food with gravy. Um, <laughs> if only. Uh, us at, us at Fanbyte, we're only now, just now, trying to get our hands on it. Mm. Uh, we, we've started. We were, in that, we were in that late wave. Someday, someone's going to write about this PR rollout and just be honest about it because it's been – frankly very wild to me yeah um but but you've you've had a chance to you you wrote a big thread yesterday about Mm -hmm. it and um you've had you've had uh some hours with it so just let let folks know kind of how you've uh you know kind of dove into this game so far and kind of what are your very high level thoughts because it's uh it's been a been a weird wind up yeah it's been a really weird wind up and like so it's been weird to play it too because on one hand like it's the culmination of everything so by its very nature it's a momentous occasion but on the other hand the game itself is kind of an anticlimax because it's like i mean yeah like it turns some dials in various directions and others in different directions but ultimately like it's a triple a game if you played a triple a game then you have played something similar to cyberpunk not the same, mm-hmm. but similar. Um, you know, big open world game takes place in a city, lots of missions and quests. Some of them are good, some of them aren't, like that kind of thing. And it's especially weird because a lot of the pre release hype, you know, uh, or not a lot of it, but some of it, some of the notable portions of it were like kind of edgy jokes and things like that. There was, yeah, there were some instances of transphobia and ish and things mm-hmm. like that. And that really sucked. And the game itself, definitely doesn't do trans representation well but it's also like it does some 
which is better than most AAA games. So it's this <laughs> right. weird kind of space where, like, again, it is a AAA game in so many ways where as much as it's tempting to join the pylon on CD Projekt and be like, right. they don't care, and, like, they're terrible edgelords and stuff, I can think of so many instances where other AAA developers have done similar, equally bad things. Sure. And so it's like, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a cultural issue over at CD Projekt, but there's also a cultural issue in AAA game development in general. And yeah. so, like, I don't know. It's been weird to watch everything unfold. Um, as for the game itself, like, again, it's it's bizarre because there are so many things that I take issue with in it when it comes to just, like, kind of narrative and the way that it approaches, I think, topics that are almost real-world issues, which is kind of, right. you know, cyberpunk's MO. They take ideas in our from our current dystopia and extrapolate them as far as they will go. But I think that while a game like Watch Dogs, Watch Dogs Legion, for example, tried to right. really engage with, like, things that are happening in the here and now and said, okay, what will these look like in, you know, a decade or two decades or whenever that game happens? Cyberpunk is like... Yeah, we mostly like the 80s. So most of our stuff is going to be rooted in like what cyberpunk authors were writing about in the 80s and what people were concerned about in the 80s. So you have people being so like on one hand, it's about like a lot of co corporate overreach and stuff like that. Cool. That makes right. sense. That's very relevant right now. Uh, Amazon, you know, whatever else. But on the other hand, like the other parts of it are just they, they feel kind of naive. Yeah, like. I mean, I get the kind of visceral appeal of making a game about everybody having robot arms and like, what if you have too many robot arms? What do you become? The answer is a giant <laughs> robot arm. But, um, you know, in the game, it's like it can drive people crazy. They literally lose their humanity the more that they replace parts of their human body with robot parts. And it's just like, is yeah. there really anything interesting to mine from this? Are we just going to, you know, do the same thing that every other cyberpunk work of fiction has done so well, there's and, that and, element and then there's the other yeah. side of it which is that the characters are well written the dialogue when you get past all the jar jargon is often good there are some quests that are you know very witcher like in their expressions of humanity and heart and so it's a game that moment to moment is like fun to play and enjoyable and it's one yeah. of those games where you don't want to stop because there's another quest around every corner but anytime that you scrutinize it you're like none of this holds up like a gentle yeah. breeze will blow all of this down. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it seems, it seems like the, the, the weight of the game itself is also caused people a lot of trouble with like bugs and, and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, there's a, uh, a very literal <laughs> way in which things fall apart. If, uh, if kind of breathed on too hard, but, uh, but yeah, like I think, you brought up the Witcher three and I think that's been one of the things that I'm very interested in because I think, uh, you know, cyberpunk has uh, obviously is based on uh, other works and, and RPGs and, and works, you know, Mike Pondsmith has worked on a lot of the stuff. And so it, it has a, uh, a, a rich well of things to draw from. However, it's so different from the Witcher to me because, you know, that that's you know, a set of fantasy books and it's got this kind of, uh, I would say a Polish sensibility because, you know, the devs are Polish and the author is Polish and they could kind of get all that. For for me, I've been interested to see how that team, at least narratively, will take this cyberpunk, very kind of United States uh, dark vision of the future and like how well can it engage how well can that team really engage with those themes? Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that, you know, I, I I've seen kind of touched on, but um, I wonder how, how effective it is. And it yeah. sounds like maybe if you look too deeply at the stuff at any part of it, it, it doesn't really hold up all that much. Yeah. So. I mean, my, my answer to kind of that broader question is inconsistently. So, I mean, right. you know, there's something to be said for people from outside the United States making yes. pieces of work, pieces of art or what have you, about the country because there's an outside perspective that's very valuable yeah. where you know people see things that we can't that said um while cyberpunk does that well in some cases i think that it suffers because for one it tries really hard to just be like very quote-unquote apolitical and of course with the caveat right. nothing can actually be apolitical but there are people who try to make their works that way so there's that issue 
And then there's also the issue of just like, there are certain elements of like lived experiences that you can't speak to unless you've lived them. And some of those, you know, even end up involving like your ability to properly depict people of various groups and cultures and whatnot. And so like they have representation technically of people from all sorts of different backgrounds in the game. Right. But a lot of them come off as stereotypes or as, you know, archetypes without much meat on their bones. And so that kind of blows, but occasionally the game will like show you a glimmer of interesting or just like good social commentary. Like, I don't know if you saw it, but I tweeted it the other day. I'll just pull it up. There's this like little background broadcast I found while I was doing a mission, just like something playing out on a television in the game. And it was like a news report and they were talking about Texas and, you know, Mm. to bring things full circle, given what we talked about earlier. Uh, Okay, so here was the little line. It was, the government of the Republic of Texas has announced its border guard will no longer give warning before opening fire. Before this, Mm -hmm. patrols were required to first shout, fuck off, this is Texas. (laughs) And I was like, one... Well, you know. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's the the the, the come and take it mentality um, mm-hmm. of Texas. Oh man, you want to know a really good Texas cross cultures? Yeah, please. Uh, so you know the the classic slogan, "Don't mess with Texas." Yes, of course. Was not originally about like you can't fuck with us or take our guns away. It was originally an anti littering slogan. Yes, it sure was. A bunch of signs on the side of the road. Bingo. Don't mess with Texas with uh, a big fine next to it for for littering. Yeah, it was a very, very, very uh, actually expensive uh, advertising campaign in the late 80s, early 90s, I believe. Yeah, and then everyone basically was just like, and then everyone everyone just turned it into something (laughs) else. Um, And yeah, it it actually was designed to keep Texas uh, beautiful, which is a a giant state. So what I really love is that like, don't mess with Texas is, you know, like, a, I would say at this point, like a very kind of Republican mentality. And yet yeah. it originated with like the most fucking like green ass liberal shit. <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember if uh, if Ann Richards was responsible for that, but I feel like she probably was. Um, yeah, that's 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 how that that's how that began. That's a great, great thing to bring up. Yeah. Um, well, we're going to get our hands on it this week over here at Fanbyte. Uh, the uh, the elites over at Kotaku have had uh, a lot of time to uh, <laughs> to, to sink their teeth into it. Uh, I, th- I think the coverage over there has been great. I really enjoyed uh, uh, Riley's review. Yeah, um, this is so really good. That was very, very good. Uh, or impressions. I don't, I don't yeah, know. I don't know what anything is anymore. Review and you know progress I mean? is the best way yeah. to put it. That's that yeah. yeah, but it's perfect. It it really gave me a good idea of what to expect. So. Yeah, Riley is. Um, a, before we move on to the, the next portion of things, please. I have to say, like Riley's an incredible writer. He doesn't get enough chances to show it because he's always editing things and like literally holding the entire site together through <laughs> sheer strength of will. But when he actually just gets to like sit down and write, like he, I think he's one of the most interesting critics in games. Oh period. sure, like he yeah. brings a very wise and world weary perspective to things that is yeah. never overbearing, but is instead just like, man, this guy's had an interesting yeah. life. Give him a chance to write about it. Yeah. Riley's review really, um, I, I think was very honest about a lot of the approaches of that game without, um, rolling his eyes mm-hmm. the entire time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Which I, I think, mean, I think is like, uh, that's such a skill to, to do. Yeah. So. But I mean, I think that's the central contradiction of this game is that like, yeah. like I was saying for everything that it does wrong, like it doesn't do anything more egregiously wrong than most AAA games. So like to sort of yeah. put it on this pedestal, at least if you're taking the game on its own terms, is kind of a weird thing to do. But yeah. at the same time, you can't entirely decouple it from the run up, which, you know, resulted in this very, I think, toxic fan base and a yeah. bunch of other problems. So like there it's 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 so cacophonous, the 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 lead up to this. Mm-hmm. It's just it it's just such a there, there's there was just and, and again, we get we get one or two of these every year, I feel like. But cyberpunk was especially so really probably the worst in recent memory. But like, I mean, I would argue maybe the, the worst ever, I, maybe worst ever. I mean, yeah. it, it is really bad. I mean, I remember I mean, I I've I've had similar, you know, yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, it has to be the worst. Um trying to think back at the last one that made me feel this 
uh, frayed, kind mm-hmm. of looking at, at everything. But yeah, this was this this was this was the worst. I think I could. I think we could say that. Yeah. Um, but it's so cacophonous is that you can't really get a clear view of anything until mm-hmm. you're really in there. So um, yeah, I am. D- despite uh, all of my misgivings about some of the stuff that that has happened with the development of the game, I uh, I am looking forward to get my hands on it this week. So. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big stories of, of 2020 and something that I have uh, struggled to totally grasp, like the the high view and kind of what the future holds is the DMCA stuff with Twitch mm-hmm. um, and the response that Twitch has had to DMCA takedowns. And um, I, I would say uh, a, an odd response. And I would say, given the landscape of other streaming services and things like that, I, I would love to hear kind of your overall take on where does Twitch go from here? Where, um, you know, h- how does it deal with these issues next year and beyond? Because I don't think this is something that's going to uh, neatly wrap up with the no, bow. No, certainly not. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, it's it's a really difficult situation. Um, one that could have been mitigated had Twitch acted sooner or had, <laughs> had Twitch been proactive. And that's a word that I like to use with a lot of like various platforms, not just Twitch, because a lot of these companies are very reactive in their approaches to things. You see that not mm-hmm. just in the way Twitch has handled DMCAs, but the way that like Facebook and YouTube and other platforms have handled things like QAnon, where they don't do anything about a problem, even one that they're aware of, until it reaches a certain critical mass, at which point it already mm-hmm. can't be stopped. And so all you can do is mitigate right. things, but it's not necessarily effective. So yeah, I mean, Twitch basically had the situation where after years of people streaming music on their services or on their service, mainly in the background in a way that like wasn't, you know, no one's going to, for instance, go to Twitch and say, oh, I'm going to try to, you know, okay. I'm going to rip this millions rip of this. channels. <laughs> yeah. Find my favorite song. Like, no, literally no one does that. Um, at best, Twitch streamers were serving as advertisements for music services because right. people would hear a song on a stream be like, I like the song. What is it? Ask the streamer, the streamer would tell them, and then they'd go right. find it on, wait for it, Spotify or Apple music mm-hmm. or YouTube. Right where then the labels who are, you know, behind this would get a lot of money or would get their money. So like, right. Honestly, maybe in a few edge cases, this was like hurting some major company, but I don't think it was in any real way. Um, but nonetheless, the music industry came to Twitch and said, Hey, you gotta make everybody cut this out. And at the time, which was earlier this summer, Twitch didn't really have any tools to do anything about it or to give to empower streamers to do anything about it. So Twitch was like, Hey, bad things are happening. Y'all should delete things. But at the same time, Twitch kind of pressed pause on its processing of DM- DMCA takedown notices right? and created this massive backlog of them to give itself time to make tools to allow streamers to delete all of their clips in mass basically it's like not even a good solution just a solution no it's 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 taking time to basically kick the can down the road right. instead of actually addressing the issue yeah yeah so then they you know fast forward a few months they announced that they had been doing all of this and said hey everybody del- probably delete all your stuff if you've ever played any copyrighted music just all clips all vi- all vods which are videos on demand all that, yeah. get rid of it. Um, and obviously that was not met with much positivity because that just sucks. <laughs> no. Like there have been people no. who have been on Twitch for, you know, five plus years, um, often sure. even more than that. The service, you know, got started in like 2011 yep. and suddenly they were being told like, delete your whole history. And so there are options to back that up. You can upload it to YouTube or whatever, but nonetheless, like that, that feels terrible. Um, so that resulted in a ton of controversy, and now we're sort of at this place where Twitch has resumed regular processing of DMCA takedown requests, and so if somebody violates anything, then they receive a notice. But at the same time, that also means right. that people's backlogs are still getting DMCA'd, and there were all these other attendant issues involving like clips that people had already taken down that were still getting notices because Twitch is wonkily built. Um, and they yeah. had kind of messed up the way that they were, I think, processing some of them. 
And so there's just a lot of like ill will toward Twitch right now from the community because what it felt like to the community is that Twitch wasn't looking out for them. And, you know, there's that, that argument holds water when you look at other platforms too. Like Facebook has a program where if you're, if you're a partner on their streaming platform, you can stream copyrighted music. They're paying for it. They, they've just acquired the proper licenses. And so as I understand it, and I'm still doing reporting on this, but the, the main source I have for it is a very good one. What basically has happened is that Twitch really messed up behind the scenes. So mm. a couple things occurred. One of them is that way back in like 2015, Twitch was already like having talks with the music industry or various entities representing the music industry about this. And it was all just like kind of a lot. So they tabled them. But then they realized, oh, we can make money off music with this Twitch Sings game. So then they started going back to the music industry to talk about acquiring rights for, you know, Twitch Sings, which is like their karaoke game, which around the right. same time all this DMCA stuff started, they were like, uh, we're discontinuing that game. These things are not, th- this is not a coincidence. Um, so yeah, basically when they went to the music industry to acquire rights, they more or less poked the bear. And it was like, oh, wait a minute. Not only do you guys want music rights, but you have this platform over here where people are broadcasting tons of copyrighted music. All right. Well, now we're going to pay attention to this. And so fast forward to today. And like now the music, now the music industry is very much paying attention to Twitch and currently does not think that even the efforts that they've already put forth are good enough. So they're still mad. And meanwhile, like I guess higher up, higher ups at Twitch are not really like, they're trying not to budge on what they've already done. And so it's this like contest of big company hubris. And so like, instead of helping out streamers, Twitch is kind of being like, well, we're not going to make the first move because we we're right. And we have to show that we're right. And so it's this big mess internally and obviously externally. And the end result of that is that Twitch, I think because it's kind of being stubborn also isn't necessarily able to have access to the same sort of options as Facebook, like the same kind of, you know, okay, well we will cut a deal with you for music rights that then like, isn't too, too expensive. And then some of your streamers can play music. Um, and so going, well, I guess, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say just really quick, just to, to, to interject an idea here is, yeah, you alluded to you know, one of the biggest competitors in the space. Obviously, Mixer kind of folding, putting mm-hmm. all their stuff on Facebook. Facebook really making some major strides. They announced uh, Wednesday morning, this morning, that they're starting a black creator program with guaranteed monthly pay. It's about $10 million of an investment. It's a really, really aggressive strategy to get folks off of Twitch and onto Facebook. Does What has happened with Twitch give you any sort of insight as to its relationship with its parent company, Amazon? Because to me, when you say, well, it doesn't have access to the resources that Facebook does, I naively probably go, hey, Jeff's got money. Oh, no, no, like, I mean, you are you know, right. It, it's, it's, it's really perplexing to me to see Twitch just kind of throw their hands up in the air and go, well, we have no way to yeah, fix this problem. We can't Jeff afford Bezos this. Like, yes, you right. can. Don't lie. Yes, you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a couple things there. One of them is that the the so Twitch doesn't have access in in the sense that the music industry will not cut them a deal. Right. A, a deal that is favorable to their terms, more or less, because, again, Twitch is kind of being stubborn and that stubbornness has not made them friends. Um, so that's one issue, but then the other one is that, yeah, like, so in kind of a big blog post about this whole situation, Twitch more or less said, like, there are ways that we could acquire rights, but like, that would be too big, too big of a toll on us financially. And that would end up trickling down to streamers. And it's like, but why they, they never really address why that would be the case beyond the fact that they don't want to cut into their own profits. Um, so there's that. And then beyond that, yeah, their relationship to Amazon is very interesting because I think that in the past year, year and a half, uh, Amazon has kind of noticed Twitch. Before that, yes, they owned Twitch. But um, as I understand it, Amazon or Twitch, I think still is responsible for less than 1% of Amazon's overall revenue. It's like nothing. It's a tiny, 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 tiny drop in the bucket. But this year, what Amazon did notice 
and I think this also ties back into the DMCA stuff um, because of rights and legitimacy in big companies, is that it can be a, a big extension of their ad services program. Um, and so sure enough, okay. in the past year, Amazon has started, or Twitch has started mandating a lot more ads on big streamers' broadcasts. Yep. Um, regardless of like subscriptions and subscription tiers and things like that. Because they want, they, they've realized they have this lucrative audience that the ad world often can't penetrate, which is, you know, young people who are into video games. And like not just 18 to 34 year olds, but like younger than 18. Right. So they, they've started putting all of this in a lot of like their marketing services and ad services advertisements because, you know, it's 2020. So we have ads for ads. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like, the, the the relationship there is changing. And then, like, I know internally for a long time, a lot of their business stuff, um, like striking deals with streamers and other people, was handled by Twitch itself, not Amazon. Now that's moved. Now ads and business and everything is handled by Amazon. Okay. Um, which also makes it fun from a reporting perspective because it's so much harder now to learn anything about that. Right. People yeah. at Twitch will talk sometimes, but even then, right. not often. Um, people at Amazon... Good luck. Not so much. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, ha, ha, do you see this opening doors for for Facebook to really step in and actually do some damage? Do you get the sense that Twitch is still kind of maybe in a mode of we're we're so far ahead of this, we don't have to really address this issue? I mean, or... almost absolutely. So I, I think okay. the thing like Twitch had a little bit of a, you know, kind of wobbly moment there last year when they lost like some big streamers and ninja and shroud right. who um both went to mixer yep. but in the aftermath of that and mixer imploding face or er, uh, twitch just basically locked down all of their biggest streamers with new exclusive yeah. deals and then said well that's that and they're kind of like i wouldn't say they're not wrong but i mean so for one their biggest competition isn't facebook not even close facebook is right. itsy bitsy in the streaming scene still the biggest yeah. competition is YouTube. Um, YouTube, even though it is not like the market leader, still commands like a very respectable share of the streaming market. Like I haven't checked the stats for a little bit, but Twitch is something like, I think around 65 to 70%, it fluctuates. And then- Which is which is just so the, the entire world knows. Yeah. That's a massive amount of market share. Yeah, I, mean, I know. Like, you know. That's what we call a monopoly, but whatever. Yeah. Yeah, who and, cares? And, you know, right? usually you look at big leaders in spaces, and you know, Spotify owning twenty five percent of the podcast market share is considered it's considered very large. Mm -hmm. So, to have sixty five percent or whatever of streaming is massive. But yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Um. So yeah, then we go over to YouTube. YouTube has somewhere in like the twenties, like I think twenty five somewhere thereabouts. Facebook has okay. like six, like right. very very small. In fact. Not even sure if it's that high. I forget. But anyway, um, single digit is the point. So yeah. YouTube is the biggest competition. And like there have been quite a few streamers who have moved over to YouTube or like are homegrown on there because like discovery on YouTube, I think is considered generally a little bit better because of algorithms. Yeah. On Twitch, it's really hard to find anyone who's not already massive. Yeah. And so like between that and like the Among Us boom, which is, you know, created some new stars and people like uh, Valkyrie got really big this year. Um, so, did, so did Corpse Husband, who's this like <laughs> enigma to me. Um, I really want to profile him because he's this dude who like seems very wholesome, but he has this insanely deep voice. Like if y'all <laughs> haven't listened to him, look up Corpse Husband and just listen to any clip. His voice is so low. And like, that's the whole thing. I discovered him because he was um, part of the first stream that AOC did. Right. And yeah. so like he came I, in. I remember I remember coming in and out of that. And then I, I just, you know, an hour into it, I heard that voice. And I was like, what is. Yeah. Who, who is, is that? This? I've never heard that voice before. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you have these like kind of homegrown, increasingly homegrown stars on YouTube. And the main advantage that Twitch has over everyone is they have all the stars. They have the community. And so it stands yeah. to reason that if YouTube has an increasing number of streaming stars, then Twitch's kind of lead will slowly ebb away. Um, but I think sure. that for now, Twitch is still relying on the fact that, like, yeah, they're the biggest game in town by a long shot. Yep. They've locked down all their biggest stars. So even though there's even though people are talking about the idea of like maybe moving over to YouTube, I think a lot of it is just talk for now. We'll sure. see though. 
I, I think that streamers yeah. should test the waters of other platforms. Um, I yeah. think streamers should form a union and, you know, do all that <laughs> stuff. Because right now they're still like, you know, for as much as it's easy to say like, oh, they play video games for a living. That's the best job ever. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, um, no. They are massively exploited. Like, yes, they are. Yeah. In all directions. I mean, when they're not being exploited by Twitch itself, they're being exploited by agencies and management firms and brands yeah. who know that they can like propose subpar deals to them and reap most of the rewards while paying streamers very little, comparatively speaking. Um, yeah. Only the biggest streamers at this point are starting to realize their worth. And the kind of middle and lower classes of streamers are just like, I'll take anything. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, this uh, this certainly doesn't seem like it's going to uh, resolve itself. So we'll see how it it, it shakes out in uh, 2021. Uh, for those at home who don't know, uh, Nathan is one of the very best at doing reporting on uh, streaming services and Twitch and stuff. So uh, if you want to check out more of his writing, you can obviously do that at Kotaku.com. Uh, yeah, I've, I think I've cited you, I don't know, four or five times on the previous iteration of the show, just about, uh, Twitch stuff. So, Thank you. uh, yeah, you're always the first person I go to for that stuff. Um, one last thing, 2020, uh, has taken a lot of things away from us, but one thing that it has taken away that I am particularly sad about is our ability to go out and sing karaoke, um, which is something that you're very good at, Nathan. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I think yeah. I'm okay. I think I'm very spirited. I think, no, no, no. So, so, okay. When I say someone is good at karaoke, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're, I don't know, Jennifer Hudson or something. and can just like belt out stuff. That's not what I mean. Mm -hmm. I, there's a combination of attention to quality and also just kind of enthusiasm about the act. Oh, yeah, and I those two combined create a karaoke quotient, I would say of of kind of uh quality so i think Man, you scored very high there what an impressive phrase where did you go to college <laughs> where did i go to college indeed somewhere really great um uh i i've you know we've run into each other uh once uh but we've karaoke a couple times uh, yeah at, at, through at happenstance different it's places. amazing because through happenstance yeah i think the first time we ever talked about going to the same school was at karaoke um it was, it was at butter in san francisco Yes, it was. And then we, the most recent time that you and I encountered each other in the meat space, as they call it, um, <laughs> was at fucking what Broadway Cocktail Lounge in I think it's Broadway Long Cocktail Beach. In yeah. Long Beach. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I miss it. I miss. I like. I my wife loves it more than I do, but now I've found myself kind of missing it. So I don't know. We I should, miss it dearly. We figure out. Yeah. Um, like. Especially when all of this first started, you know. Okay, so this is a really funny thing. Um, <laughs> when this all first began, when it was when it became clear that we were going to go into lockdown mode, I did right. one final karaoke because I figured, <laughs> you know, gotta gotta do this now because who knows when I'll get to do it again. And so I went to um, Shannon's in Long Beach, and uh, you know, good good bar, fun place. Sure. Um, and there was like hardly anybody there by the time I got there. It was very late. I think I'd been doing something else beforehand. And I sang Dream On by Aerosmith. <laughs> All right. Yeah. A good final song. Um, that was a good final song. Yeah. I, I have a recording of it because I, I figured I'd want to like hold on to it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I got to say, you know, when when you think that it's going to be the last time that you might do something for a long time, definitely bring something out of you. Sure. Um, I will say I hit the high note. Okay, and not I was, like that was be falsetto. My next I belted the high. All right. Yeah. Good job. I don't think I'll ever be able to do it again. the The combination yeah. of factors that allowed me to do it it was like some sort of yeah, weird zen like calm. Yeah, I mean, if the stakes were higher, then we would be having a, a real problem, mm -hmm. you know. Um. So yeah, I don't think the stakes will get any higher for karaoke. Yeah, so, but I mean, yeah, I uh, yeah, I like, I extremely miss it in part because like there are so many things that you get out of karaoke that I think you cannot replicate via Zoom or apps or anything like that. No. Regrettably, no. because I wish there was like a good analog for it. Um, yeah. I'd be doing it all the time if there was. But there's something about like the physicality and the presence of it and the kind yeah. of like, you know, crowd interaction yeah. that I think is immediately destroyed by latency issues on programs like Zoom. And then yeah. beyond that, just like, I don't know. When you're doing something on a camera, there's an added element of shame that no amount of alcohol can dispel. It's true. 
And yeah. karaoke you know, so relies true. on you just saying, well, for this brief amount of time, I'm going to be shameless. Yeah. Yeah. You're really putting your vulnerability out there. And if you add too many layers on top of that, it 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 messes with that feeling. But uh yeah, there's nothing quite like it. When we uh when uh when all this clears up, let's uh let's go out and do it again. I don't know if it'll be who knows where it will be, but yeah, right? we, we should definitely do it. Um, we'll wind up in the same Nathan, city again at some point. It'll happen. Oh, I'm sure we will. I mean, we'll we'll go back to cons and stuff. It'll mm-hmm. happen. I just, uh, yeah, I just don't know when, don't know where, but it'll, it'll happen at some point. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much for chatting with me. This was uh, really great. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's do some plugs. Let's uh, let's talk about split screen. Um, that's a podcast that Kotaku does, and mm-hmm. you're on it, and so is Ash Parrish and Mike Fahey, and it's very good. When does that come on the air? Um, yeah, so we release a new episode every Friday of every week from now until the end of time. And that's a guarantee. <laughs> that is a guarantee. That's yeah. so funny. That's what that's what I say uh, at the beginning of uh, several of our podcasts. Here are my co-hosts from now until the end of time. Yeah, um, I will say like most people would guarantee that they're going to keep making you something until they die. Right. I'll take it one right. further. I will become yeah. immortal to keep yeah. giving you a podcast. Listen, content is forever is um, the one thing I've learned in this business. So, yeah, you just have to keep it going. Um, Where can folks find you online? Um, Yeah. So most obviously you can find me at Kotaku.com. That's it. That's the whole name. Um, And then you can also find me on Twitter at VAHN16, which is a reference to an ancient PlayStation 1 JRPG called Legend of Ligaya. That's why it's a weird name that has no connection to my own. I chose it it's, when it's, I was a, a teen. So that's how that happened. I, I will say I will say you do have the most like teen chosen ass Twitter handle that I've seen. I yeah. think it's 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 very it was very clear to me as I, I didn't immediately understand the reference, but I eventually, you know, I, I, I got it. Um and yeah, my my very teen one was Johnny Walker eighty five. That was my teen <laughs> one. Terrible. Um but uh, anyway, Nathan, thank you so much again, and uh, I hope you have a good rest of your year. Yeah, you too. And thanks for having me on. Of course. Hours after my conversation with Nathan, he filed a report with Kotaku about a proposed piece of legislation from Republican Senator Tom Tillis that would make the unauthorized commercial streaming of copyrighted material a felony offense punishable by prison time. The proposal specifically mentions, quote, a video clip on Twitch, end quote, as being a possible violation. You can check out his full report over at Kotaku.com. And boy, it did not take long for this story to escalate a bit. What was once well-founded rumor is now reality, as Sony-owned Funimation will acquire anime's streaming service Crunchyroll from Warner Media for $1.175 billion. This gives Sony a massive foundation of anime and manga content and production capabilities between Funimation's own resources and Crunchyrolls, which itself has grown significantly over the past few years, with conventions and licensing agreements and much more. Like Netflix, Crunchyroll began as a place to stream existing content in the market, but has increasingly become involved in the production of content itself. Though we don't know all the ramifications of this deal yet, it appears that Sony will now outright own a large chunk of the market for anime. A few quick hits before we wrap for the week. Uh, Destiny 2 got its big next-gen upgrades this week, injecting some massive graphical improvements, including better frame rates, smoother textures, and even graphical sliders on consoles for things like field of view. Seems like a good time to jump in if you were underwhelmed by the first rollout of Beyond Light content, seeing as they've also made some changes and additions to the gameplay itself. 343 Studios provided a pretty major update 
regarding Halo Infinite this week, confirming a release window of fall 2021 while showing off new concept art, environment stills, and customization options of the upcoming game. The announcement blog post also lightly touched on some gameplay concepts they had only hinted at before, indicating a very open world where Master Chief can decide when and how to tackle many different mission types without being married to the main plot. Spider-Man Miles Morales also got a post-release patch this week, adding an optimization that allows the game on PlayStation 5 to run at 60 frames per second with ray tracing activated, which gives players the best of both worlds between performance and show-stopping graphical power. That is a free upgrade out now. Finally, Remedy announced their game Control, one of Fanbyte's favorites in recent memory, had its best sales month ever in November. The game's next-gen upgrades won't even be available until 2021, but the game is still selling super well without them. The next Remedy game will also take place in the connected universe they've crafted between Control and Alan Wake, according to reports. So get ready for more altered objects. And that's going to do it for this week's show, folks. Thanks so much for hanging out. Please uh, check out all of our great podcasts over at fanbyte.com slash podcast. We have a, a lot of really good ones. We also have a store. You can go to store.fanbyte.com and use promo code, promo code, which is all one word, to get 10% off orders of $50 or more. Uh, Kotaku's own Ash Parrish showed up on this week's episode of 99 Potions, which was all about Bloodborne. It was a blast to have her on that show, so please go check that out. And until next week, y'all take it easy. Thank you.